to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It's so good to see you here in worship this morning. As we head to the end of July, I want you to know that we're going to go back to our regular kind of normal uh, worship schedule this service will still happen, 1045 in the gym, modern service, 815, uh, traditional service in the historic sanctuary, but then also we'll have a 930 and 11 o'clock traditional services in the big sanctuary, and that'll be uh, August 6th, we'll kick that off. August 13th is our big blowout kickoff, um, so you want to be present for that as we get going with our program year. Also, if you don't yet subscribe to my Friday uh, newsletter, you'll probably want to get that, especially in the next few weeks, because we're announcing all of our new programs and ministry opportunities that you're not going to want to miss out on. And so that's where you can hear all about that, as well as the church website. I want to thank Carrie for preaching uh, last week. did a great job. Uh, if you've never seen the movie Up and you missed her sermon from last Sunday, if you go and listen to it, it has the advantage of you never then need to see the movie. Right? It, was, it was good, and you know what happens, it's great. Uh, so thanks, Carrie, for that. Uh, but today we're going to continue our study of the book of Proverbs. And we're looking at the Disney you know, film Tangled, which is an adaptation of the Rapunzel story. Our Proverbs, only one proverb today, Proverbs 12, verse 28. Let's listen for the word of the Lord. In the path of righteousness, there is life. In walking its path, there is no death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that you might be our teacher the next few moments, that you might speak a word to our hearts that only you can speak. Lord, that these words would not be dead ink on a page trapped in a distant past, but by your spirit they may spring to life and speak to our lives here today in 2023. Lord, that we might be able to find that path of righteousness that leads to life. Now may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in our sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever been trapped? I have a vivid memory of being a young boy and visiting my aunt and uncle and cousin in Missoula, Montana. They had just moved into this massive, historic house. The house was the kind of awesome place it was to be a kid and be able to play. It was filled with passageways, secret closet, an attic, and a vast, mysterious basement. So we decided to play hide-and-seek. My sister was the youngest, so we forced her to seek first. And so with her eyes closed, she began counting before she came to find us. And as she's counting, my cousin and I run off. And we go into the basement. In the, the back of the basement, there's a closet there. And we go in, we shut the door, and we're hiding. Five minutes go by, no sign of my sister. 
10 minutes go by, no sign of my sister. 15 minutes go by, no sign of my sister. It was the perfect hiding spot. But at some point we figured there was no way she was gonna find us. We wanted to play another round. So we decided we'd show ourselves and go find her. My cousin goes to open the door. He goes, click. It's locked. Then I go to open the door. Still locked. There I am in the pitch black darkness of a closet basement in a huge house in Missoula, Montana. And we tried to play it cool at first, but it's hard to be cool when you're scared to death. <laughs> I began to panic. And even though my cousin and I, we couldn't see the terror on each of our faces, we could feel the fear. I was becoming terrified sitting in the dark. My palms are sweaty. What happens if no one ever finds us? What happens if we're never found? I began calculating how long we could last without water, food, and light. <laughs> and the thought goes through my mind, we're going to die here. <laughs> Have you ever felt trapped? Maybe trapped physically, but how about emotionally? Trapped spiritually? How do you get out? How do you find freedom? How can you shake off the shackles of entrapment and to live the life you're called to? The Disney movie Tangled tells the timeless story of Rapunzel. Rapunzel's been kidnapped from her parents, who are the king and queen in the land. They don't know where she is. She was kidnapped because of, she has magic hair. For anyone who would use it will get perpetual youth, as long as they don't cut it. And each year, Rapunzel's parents release sky lanterns into the sky in hopes that one day their daughter will see them and come home. And on the event of her 18th birthday, Rapunzel sees the sky lanterns and she goes to her captor, Gothel, and sees if she will release her so she can go find the source of the light. And her captor, Gothel, says, it's much too dangerous from you, for you to leave the safety of the tower. You're stuck here. The world is too scary. You must stay here. And on a budget of $260 million, one of the most expensive movies ever made, they made a worldwide box office take of $600 million. Yeah, not bad. Why does this story, which dates back to the 17th century, resonate with so many people around the world? Are people looking for an excuse to grow their hair out? Are they looking for a potion to experience perpetual youth? Are they fans of sky lanterns? I wonder if it's because we all resonate with that feeling of feeling trapped, being unable to escape. 
whether it's by life circumstance, bosses or the powers that be, or a fear of the outside world, many of us will find ourselves trapped in a tower and we want to find the path that leads to life. Our proverb today reads, in the path of righteousness there is life. In walking its path there is no death. So the question becomes, how can we find the path of righteousness that leads to life? Proverbs, as we've been learning, is a collection of wisdom sayings. It's accumulated wisdom over the years that's put together in aphorisms and proverbs and sayings. And they're used to teach and to train up young people to find the wise life, to live wisely. It's interesting, though, if you look in the New Testament and you pay attention to the early church, there's a shift about what the wisdom of God is. It goes from being in this, collected in this book to being embodied in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. In the life, death, teachings, and resurrection of Jesus, we see what the wise life looks like, the path of righteousness that leads to life. I've picked out one representative example. In the words of the Apostle Paul who writes to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 1, listen to this. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Paul's saying Jesus is the embodiment of the wisdom of God. Jesus shows us what the path to ultimate life looks like. Directs us down that path. When I was in seminary, someone gave me this little book called Temptation. It's by a professor and theologian named Diogenes Allen. It was a really interesting book because he focuses his reflections on the three temptations of Christ in the wilderness or the desert. And he says that story really shows us what it means to be on the path to cultivating and flourishing spiritually. And he says what Jesus does in the wilderness, as we focus in on these temptations in our own lives, we find that Christ does not lift us out of all the dangers of the world into a place of ultimate safety. He doesn't take our concerns magically away. No, rather in in the temptations, Jesus shows us where the battle is to be waged. The things we need to pay attention to. That we need to be on the watch for. If we're, we desire to flourish spiritually. And 2,000 years of Christian history have only confirmed the wisdom of Christ and what he shows us. Christ's life shows us how to live an abundant, flourishing spiritual life. The detailed stories of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness comes in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. There are three temptations, but there's a common lie, a common deception that is true to all three of them. The basic 
lie at the root of all temptation is you cannot trust God. So notice in the first temptation, the tempter came and said to him, if, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. The tempter asks Jesus to trust in possessions in the form here of bread, saying you cannot trust God to take care of you. One way we stray off the path that leads to life is becoming overly attached to our possessions. We know that as a human being, if we want to flourish in the long term, sometimes that long term means we have to say no to things in the present. We have to say no to some good things so that we don't become overly attached to them. You have to recognize that material goods will not fill the spiritual hole that is in our hearts. It's like that line from the country song, You and Tequila. One is too many, one more is never enough. That's what happens when our stuff begins to own us. Now, in 1972, researchers at Stanford University conducted what has become known as the marshmallow test. I love this test. They brought any of these kids in, and then on a tray set before them, they put one marshmallow. And they said, you can eat it, but if you wait 15 minutes and don't eat it, we will give you a second marshmallow. Fascinating. And these kids, it's so hilarious. The things that they would do not to touch the marshmallow. Some of them covered their eyes. Some of them actually turned around not to look at the marshmallow. Some of them would kick the table. Some pulled on their pigtails. And the one I loved is some of them petted the marshmallow like it was a stuffed animal. (laughs) In the end, about a third of the children held out for that second marshmallow. Many years later, the researchers went and found those kids who are now adults And they did some research and they found that there was a strong correlation between later in life success and their ability as children to wait for that second marshmallow. I think there's a truth for us. How many of us sacrifice the things we really love for a short-term payoff? If we want to find the path of righteousness that leads to life, We must be wary about becoming overly attached to our stuff. Sometimes we have to say no to the marshmallow. The second temptation comes in verse 6. If, there it is again, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. The second temptation is a warning about the pursuit of power. We've all heard the cliche, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. It's a cliche because it's true. We have to be careful about pursuing power. Because as you pursue power, it will change you, that pursuit will change you, and it will change your relationships with others. Now the best illustration I've ever seen of this is in a book I read called The Lecturer's Tale. Now, I have no idea why I bought this book. It was probably on a discount table. And I think I might be the only person in Western civilization who have ever read it. But I've waited about 15 years to use it in this moment, right now, for you. 
Okay. The main character is this guy named Nelson, and he's a professor at a prestigious Midwestern college. He comes up for tenure, and it gets denied. Now, it's a really rough day for old Nelson, because just after that, he goes, has an accident, and he severs off his finger. Well, they go to the doctor, and they reattach his finger to his hand. And after his finger is reattached, Nelson discovers that his finger has magical properties. And the key magical property is that if he touches someone with his finger, he can get them to do whatever he wants them to do. And so sure enough, you know what happens. He uses his magic finger to get his job back. He uses his magic finger to get tenure. He uses his magic finger to control his students. In fact, he manipulates everyone with his finger, everyone that is except for his wife, the love of his life. Until one day, Nelson and his wife get in an argument and he accidentally touches her with his finger and everything is ruined. The relationship with this woman who's the love of his life is ruined as she comes under his total control, as he has power over her. And the book concludes with these words. I love this. I mean, it's totally tragic. I love it in the sense of, oh, I learned a lot. (laughs) Be wary if you have a magic finger. Listen to this. To his dying day, Nelson would remember the look of pure joy crossing his wife's face as the worst thing he ever saw. Because he had power over her, not freedom, And so it totally distorted their relationship. It wasn't what it used to be. The Christian life calls us to limit our pursuit of power in the betterment of others, in the betterment of the community of the whole. I once saw a great sign in a fellow pastor's study. It said, there's no limit to the amount of good you can do if you do not care who gets the credit. Pursuing power is not the way to stay on the path that leads to life. I mean, in fact, entangled, Gothel, who's trapped Rapunzel and brought her under her power, traps her in the tower, and this plan works for a while, but in the end, it leads to her demise. She's left alone in terrible shape. Pursuing power as an end in itself will only corrupt and distort the things you love. The third temptation, Jesus shows us how to watch for pursuing prestige or fame. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I give you if you will fall down and worship me. You see all three of these temptations on full display and you see kind of that, the high point of the temptation to fame in the television show Breaking Bad. And I'm sure none of you have ever seen it, but There's a main character, Walter White, and wherever he comes up to a decision to do the good thing or the bad thing, he always breaks bad. He does the bad thing. And if you overlay the three temptations of Christ on that movie and use it as a lens for the show, it illustrates exactly what I'm talking about. See, Walter White starts out as a high school science teacher, but he's in need of money. So he begins to make methamphetamine. He says all he wants to do, his family, help his family. 
He wants possessions. Then, eventually, Walter wants to take over the entire operation. In fact, in his thirst for power, he wants to become the major drug dealer in the Southwest. And then, in his pursuit of fame, he begins to wear a pork pie hat. It becomes known as his Heisenberg hat. It is what the Z was to Zorro and the cape was to Superman. He wants to be famous. See, it starts with pursuing money and possessions, then it changes to power, and then it seeks fame. And guess what? He becomes famous for all the wrong things. And his fame leads to his undoing. And this is the irony at the heart of all the temptations. Giving into them will not give you what you want. They will only take you off the path that, that leads to life. They will erode our lives, distort what we really care about. They lead us into captivity and spiritual slavery. What we need to do is stay on the path that leads to life. Avoiding these temptations will help us stay on that right road. I remember being trapped in the closet in Missoula, Montana. With my cousin in the basement. It was cold, it was dark, and it was scary. We wondered if we would ever get out. We were trapped. Then after 15 minutes... My cousin stands up, she fumbles in the dark and finds a string, and she pulls it, and the light comes on, and everything changed. We weren't scared anymore. We could see each other, we could see our surroundings. We even saw how to unlock and open the door. It was incredible. And as you may have guessed, we made it out alive. Rapunzel, trapped in that tower, saw the light of the flying lanterns, the light that would lead to her freedom. It would lead to her life. This is all we need, and that's what we have in Jesus Christ, the light of the world. In his light, we see what the wisdom of God is. We see how to stay on the path that leads to ultimate life. And that's why Christ tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let us put that light on our lives every day. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you are the light that has shined in our darkness. We pray that we might see it, see ourselves as a part of it, and stay on the path of righteousness that leads to life. Not just for our own good, not just for the good of our families, the good of our friends, but the good of a world you love so much. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.